Welcome to Mental Health Film Comment. This is Brian here with you. Ordinary People is the 1980 film which brought mental illness to the forefront of a lot of conversation. Uh, joining us today to talk about many of the uh, themes and um, topics uh, related to the film is Jean Gore, coordinator and co-chair of the steering committee of the National Shattering Silence Coalition. Uh, Jean, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Brian. Now, I, I do want to mention a, a couple of resources uh, up front for everyone. I know that there are a couple different crisis text lines available if you do need to reach out to anyone today. In the U.S., you can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741. In the U.K., you can text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. Depending upon where you are in the world, um, check your local listings, as they say. Um, Jean, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. My, my pleasure. Um, now, you are in an, a, a different area of advocacy, I guess. It would, would that be the, the right way of, of putting it? Because from my area of advocacy, you're just in a different area. And, and so I, I felt it was important to, to have you on so, to let people know more about the, the, the good work that, that you're doing. Um, when you say a different area, I guess, I guess we are, um, we are, um, largely the majority of us are family members of someone who, who suffers from a serious brain disorder. And, um, we have some people, um, with lived experience. Um, we also have, um, professionals in, we call them the professionals in the trenches. Um, some psychiatrists, a social worker, some nurses, and some people um, from NAMI. No, uh, um, and, and we had talked off mic b b before, and I, I want to phrase this carefully so I don't get in trouble or say anything to get to get you in trouble. Uh, but I, I did want to reach out to. Um, basically, let me back up. I had. Um, a very, as you could say, un unpleasant experience. Um, and I guess I could, I could leave it at that. Uh, a very unpleasant experience in relation to some other um, areas of advocacy. And I, 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 I'm not gonna dignify some of the personal attacks that, I, that I've encountered, but I did want to more or less re respond in kind. If, if that makes sense, rather than uh, do anything to, you know, to attack back, just, just, you know, press pause and, and reach out to, um, you know, other, does, I mean, does, does that make sense? What, what I'm saying? I, 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 I think um, I've, I've seen that happen a lot to a lot of people. Um, and I think this is a very sensitive subject. And 
people have very strong feelings about it. And I think that we're all broken as well. Um, I mean, I think everyone in this life is, no one gets out of here without being broken, but some of us are more broken than others. And so it's, yeah, it's kind of inevitable that what happened to you does happen to people, but I think that it's good to talk about it and, and try and bridge the gap because in the end, we're all here we're all here for the same reason. We're all here because we, we care and, and we want to make a difference for people. Uh, absolutely. And, and if I worded it a little vaguely, that was probably intentional because I, I, like I don't want to do anything to, um, you know, to make matters worse. So I, I know that those who are aware of this off mic will know exactly what I'm referring to and those who um, might get little bits and pieces on mic um, either either ways fi fine with me but but there there has been been some frustration with how I've been uh, treated and so um, m moving forward past that <laughs> I, I I did want to um, look at it, I did want to have you on because um, Groups such as National Shattering Silence Coalition, and I know Healing Minds, um, NOLA is another one, doing very good work, you know, very, very good work. And I think it's important to, you know, even though I'm in another area of advocacy, um, I think it's important for people to know about the work that you're doing. Uh, for example, there is the the AOT, the assisted um, outpatient program, and from what I've heard of about that, I don't see how that is problematic. I understand that that seems to be a a contentious issue for whatever reason, but the more that I've heard about that, the more that some of my just gathering information, so to speak, if that makes sense. And um, so if I could just back up, what, for those who aren't aware of AOT, what, what, what is a AOT? Um, assisted outpatient treatment is, in my opinion, um, it is compassion. It's a tool. It's a compassionate tool to use um, specifically for people who suffer from anosysnogia or a lack of awareness of their illness. The, the part of their brain that would allow them to understand that they are ill is broken. And about 50% of people with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder have no awareness of their illness. So, and it is the number one reason why people refuse treatment. And so AOT, um, it's, there are different models for it. SAMHSA has a model. Um, the Treatment Advocacy Center has a model. Every state has their own model. Um, and, but the gist of it is it's, it's the, per the person, um, has a court order that they that they need to follow their treatment plan and their treatment plan includes medication management and if they are not following their treatment plan then they can be brought back to the hospital 
and it's amazingly successful. It is, it is without a doubt what saved my son's life. And um, before he had AOT, he was hospitalized 43 times. He was jailed twice. He was beaten up by seven police officers in Burlington, Vermont. He was homeless. He was missing. Um, and since he's been in the AOT program, um, since 2013, he now lives in his own home. He has a dog who is his best friend. Yeah. Um, he is an artist and a musician, has many friends. Um, I'm not going to say life is perfect. He doesn't like the fact that his medication can make him feel sedated. Um, and I wish he could be without medication be because I hate the fact the thought that it makes him feel sedated, but it is what it is. We have tried every medication out there and it's the one, only one that works for him um, to keep him from going into psychosis and, um, and becoming homeless or jailed or whatever yeah. again. Um, so yeah, I am a, a very strong advocate for assisted outpatient treatment. And I wish that it was federally mandated and available to everyone. Rag, now, one thing I, I wanted to clarify is what you're talking about, that is a very specific demographic, a very specific population. In other words, for those listening who know that they're not doing well, who, who know that they have meds to take or an appointment to get to with a counselor, that's not who AOT is intended for, correct? Right. And you know, you, you hit on a really important thing because that's when we were trying to get legislation passed in Maine for our assisted outpatient treatment program, um, which is called the progressive treatment plan in Maine, um, our, our um, opponents in, in court were often, um, I hate the word consumer, but they use the word consumer there. Um, to me, they're, they're just ordinary people and they are patients of a doctor. Um, anyways, they would come in, in opposition to it because they thought that we were going to try to use AOT on them. And we tried very hard to explain to them that you are not the person who, who would ever be put under an AOT order because you know that you're ill and you know that you need help and, and, you, and you're doing everything that you can to get that help. So you would not be the subject of an AOT order. Well, also on, on, on that point, haven't we as a society already you know, don't we, don't we as a society already have an agreement that if you do certain stuff, whether it's, uh, you know, steal, you know, stealing something at a store or, you know, whatever it is, you know, that there's consequence for those activities. And many of those consequences can include court orders. I mean, haven't, I know it sounds like somewhat, somewhat of a rhetorical question, but haven't we as a society already concluded that we're all you know what I mean because that's something that ordinarily is understood to be 
a consequence of certain um, stuff that people do. I mean, you know what I mean? I don't think, unless I'm misunderstanding you, um, what you're trying to get at, I, I don't think that AOT is a consequence. Okay. Um, for not being able to like conform to society or for, for doing something wrong. It's, 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 a, it's a medical tool to be used to get help for people who don't know they're sick because if we don't get help for them, they often wind up in the criminal justice system um, because their behaviors become so bizarre because they're psychotic or you know hallucinating and delusional and their thoughts are so disorganized and they become agitated and aggressive and or not always, but sometimes they do um, and they get themselves arrested and 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 wind up in jail in, in where they absolutely do not belong and should not have been put there in the first place. They should have been able to have access to treatment long before it ever reached that point, or they wind up homeless or dead in our street. Okay, so I so I I did have that worded incorrectly then. It sounds like as far as it's it's more of a preventative. It, it's yeah. okay. So I, I have that. Way, it's a way to access early intervention for people so that they do not have to, so that we do not have to wait for them to become a danger to themselves or others, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. When my son first became ill and it was plain as day to me that he something was drastically wrong I mean, he all of a sudden started thinking that the FBI was after him for his telepathic powers and he had just gone off to college and I was scared to death for him. And I knew I had to get him to a hospital or somewhere. And I brought him to the hospital. They kept him overnight and then they brought him to jail and he was thrown in jail because while he was at the hospital, he stripped naked and he was, they couldn't get him to stop laughing in his room because he was completely psychotic. And that was not help. And I, I, I did not, I had no awareness of, of what happens to people when they lose their mind in America before this yeah. happened. Yeah. And then I was promptly told by the police when I went to get him out of jail that, you know, well, we're letting him go because he's no longer, quote, a danger to himself or others, unquote. Um, and I said, well, how do I get him? How, how do I get him help? How do, yeah. how do I get him seen by yeah. someone? Yeah. He won't go with me willingly because he doesn't think anything's wrong with him. He thinks he has telepathic powers. And they said, I'm sorry, ma'am. In less or until he becomes a danger to himself or others again, there's nothing we can do. Okay, so I, I really um, misspoke with that question. And what one of what are the uh, what what are, what are the drawbacks with doing a podcast, particularly when I don't do any editing, is there are moments where I, I just step in it. <laughs> and I, 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 I mean, if anything, Brian, it's maybe. I mean, it's a learning experience for you and it's a learning yeah. experience for your listeners and, and maybe it helps 
it's one of those bridge the gap moments. Yeah, yeah, because that's one of the one, and, and I, I'm so glad to have you on because that's one thing that I think might be um, a myth that, uh, like, a, if, I, if it's a myth that, I, that I'm believing that's not correct, I do want to correct it. Because um, I had um, thought that it was something where it's not as, pre but, but you're stating that it is more of a, a preventative measure to, yes, to prevent it's a stuff. Way, okay. It's a way to get help for someone. And the other thing about it, once you're in the AOT program, I mean, oftentimes, as I said, the, the every state has different, you know, different programs. Mm -hmm. The way it works in Maine, once a year, you have to, you have to um, renew it or, and after two years, you have to apply for a new one. And, um, but once you're in it, if something should happen to you, within that year, um, for example, one year by mistake, his treatment team gave him oh, the wrong dose of his medication and it was way too low of a dose and he became very ill. And we did not have to wait for him to become a danger to himself or others yeah. before we could bring him back to the hospital. We got him in the hospital. He was only there for a couple of weeks and he was all taken care of and, and all well again and, be, and able to come home. So that's yeah. another benefit of the AOT program. You do not have to sit there and watch your loved ones suffer. Before I got him into that program, he had, he was in a group home he had what they call a PNMI bed. And I'm sorry, I don't remember what all those letters stand for, but it's basically federal funding for a group home. He had an ACT team. He had food stamps. He had, you know, disability. He refused to eat for an entire month because he thought he was a monk. He was walking barefoot through the snow in the middle of the winter down the middle of Main Street and no one would help him. It, it's 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 just so inhumane and cruel the suffering that this country allows to happen because they're not yet a danger and yeah. in my mind he was a danger to himself but yeah. but they they still would not help him yeah well I one thing I, I, I definitely wanted to, to mention I would, I would be um, remiss if I did not mention this um, is in, in, in the course of you know reaching out um, to, to different uh, areas on um, drawing a blank right at this point <laughs> as a result um, many of the organizations who I've reached out to they tend to be more um, Grassroots, and and I don't like the, I don't like to use the word grassroots in re, in regards to many mental health organizations because there are many mental health organizations that essentially operate as corporations with you know a high price CEO and and board of directors and board meetings that have you know their their board meetings and it takes an act of congress you know whether it's an actual act of congress or a metaphorical congress to get anything done um with national shattering silence coalition and there's another um group i think i mentioned to you off mic and those listening this will be an upcoming episode um tend to be more 
um, consistent with their messaging, if that makes sense. Yeah, and um, I typically don't like the word grassroots either, um, but we are, technically, I guess we are a grassroots <laughs> organization and um, we, don't, we don't accept donations. We don't mm -hmm. have any funding. None of us gets paid. <laughs> We're all volunteers and our organizational guidelines were written by all of us, our entire membership. And everything that we do flows through our membership it's because we, we, want, we want all of our members to feel like they have a voice and we all have a voice to get a bigger voice together. So it, it's hard sometimes with all the different personalities involved, but I think it works well in the end. We do get our message across and it's a unified message and um, well, it, it is. It. And, and I wanted to j just, you know, you know, press pause for a moment and just acknowledge that because um, with the guest who I interviewed, who will be coming up, um, you know, later this week when you're listening to this, uh, there was a similar, you know, pause moment uh, we were talking where she just outright said to me, well, what, what would you do to, you know, if you could wave your magic wand, basically? And, and fix things. And, and I told her outright, and, and I can tell you that there, and she had used the word um, or, or the phrase uh, mental health industry. And as soon as she said that, my ears just perked up. And, and again, this is, this. You, you, if you're listening to this podcast, you'll be hearing this after this episode. Uh, but she had said that and my ears just perked up because I mean, how that is so true there is essentially a mental health you know, industry in many regards that has a lot of you know, organizations operating as, as corporations essentially who put forth one set of um, you know, objectives or messaging or whatnot and the legitimate bona fide grassroots and, and whatnot sort of gets drowned out in that, which I think is a huge, a huge problem in, you know, in many ways, because I would, and, and I told her, and I, and I can tell you, I would rather see you at the table with regards to public policy, with, with regards to support groups, than, you know, fill in the blank. I would rather see you at the table. Yeah, I, I think, um, well, I'm going to be bolder than you and just use the name of an organization, um, NAMI. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, there are some wonderful, wonderful NAMI affiliates who are doing amazing work. But NAMI National, over the years, um, I had a very dear friend who I considered my second mother. Uh, Jean Rosa, who passed away a couple of years ago at 84 years old, and she was one of the founding members of NAMI. And she, she had been fighting for years over the fact that they have lost their way because they no longer represent the most seriously ill. They're trying to represent too many people. And they're trying to represent what we call the worried well, you know, someone who has a little bit of anxiety or yeah. someone who's, you know, 
otherwise perfectly um, able to function without medication. They just, I, I don't even know who they represent anymore because they, they allow their affiliates to write their own policy. And here in Maine, we have been up against uh, a NAMI director who does not believe in involuntary hospitalization ever under any circumstances, nor does she believe in assisted outpatient treatment. And that has been devastating to the population of serious people here. And there's nothing we can do about it because they are the voice at the table and we are not and we're trying to we're trying to have a voice which is why we keep writing to the ismic committee and and why we, we keep trying to grow our grassroots organization because because we feel like there is no one representing the truly seriously ill people yeah, and and there's and there's also a greater sense of urgency, a greater sense of we need to take action, that I see much more uh, pronounced with the work you're doing, with the work you know groups like um, you know National Children's Science Coalition and others that I drawing a blank on right at this moment, that I simply don't see. Well, and the, I think. If there could be any silver lining to this, the COVID pandemic, mm -hmm. it is that the rest of the country is starting to understand what we have known for years, which is that our so-called mental health system is completely and utterly broken. And so is our criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with COVID affecting people um, in strange ways in their brains, um, you know, people, some people are experiencing psychosis and neuropathy and all kinds of weird things coming out of COVID. I'm hoping and praying that it will finally um, give them a reason to start taking these illnesses seriously as, as the medical illnesses they should be recognized mm -hmm. under and start actually pouring money into research for better medications and cures because we are, I did some research a little while ago and discovered that they spent, and these numbers might not be exactly right, but they're roughly right. Um, something like $2.5 billion on Alzheimer's disease was spent um, in 2020 for research into Alzheimer's disease. And only 246 million was spent on serious mental illness. And what is wrong with that picture? You yeah, know, it's yeah. why isn't saving our youth as important as saving our elderly? Oh, ab absolutely. I. Um... And there was something else that I, I, I thought of, and I forgot to write it down before I forgot, and now I forgot. And again, one of those those awkward moments where you don't do any editing and it's recorded, treated as live. And so you have to think of something to say to fill that gap. Um, but yeah, that is something where there's just a lot that just, just does not add up, in other words. It just, a lot that just, um, Oh, one thing I, I did want to ask you, and I think I alluded to this off mic, um, 
there was, and I think it was a press release from the National Shattering Silence Coalition, which had some comparison about if someone had a heart attack, would you would you want uh, a cardiologist who had a heart attack? And I would. <laughs> I, I if I had a, I would want I would want a heart doctor who's had a heart attack. So that that comparison, as it relates to SMI, I don't know if that's the most. I don't think uh, that was what we said in the press release. Someone okay. might have said something about it afterwards. Yeah. I think that unfortunately it was what we were talking about was um, when um, Bacara nominates someone to be the new assistant secretary for SAMHSA um, to replace Dr. McCats Katz. Um, we wanted to make sure that they chose someone who would lead with science, not pop psychology. And we wanted that person, that person could be um, a, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, an MD, an OD. Um, but but the, the, we did not say that they could not be someone with lived experience. Yeah. Of course they could be someone with yeah, lived yeah. experience. In fact, and I wish we had said that. I wish we had <laughs> said that in uh, the press, press uh, release. You know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. You think of things you should have said and didn't. But I, I just to clear up any misunderstanding, I would definitely, if I had a heart attack, I'd want a cardiologist that had had one too, so they'd know what I was going through. Yeah, yeah. And if, if I, if if we could pick someone to head SAMHSA who had lived experience. That would be fabulous, but they'd also need to have the science. They'd also need to be a doctor. That's yeah. all we know. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, and because obviously, you know, being on different areas of advocacy, there are going to be you know minor, you know, and I do mean minor because they are minor disagreements, which you know, not. And this isn't the place to hash out those disagreements. <laughs> it's really not because I'm talking to everybody on the show. Hey, by, by the way, let's let's argue about something. No, so that, so I don't mention that to argue, but simply just by virtue of being in different areas, there are going to be areas of um, disagreement. But at the end of the day, no, I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked because yeah. it, it, and you know it's it's funny how a lot of these things they wind up looking like disagreements, mm -hmm. but it's because we're coming at it from our perspective, you're coming at it from your perspective. Mm -hmm. And so when we write things, we don't always think of, well, what was the other person's perspective yeah. when perhaps we should. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's good when people like you are able to point mm -hmm. out, well, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> did you mean yeah. it can't yeah. be someone with lived experience? Cause yeah. then we have the opportunity to say, oh, gee, I'm sorry. That's not what we meant at all. Yeah. You have said it's, it would be great if they had lived experience, uh, yeah. but they need to have both. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, absolutely. And you are at an advantage and, and as is the, how am I doing on the cliffhanger thing as far as, making people listen for the, for the next episode. As far as what I mean by that is being your advantage is that many people on, you know, my area of advocacy are only, you know, are they're strictly either bipolar only or depression only, or, you know, 
lots of only. Yeah. <laughs> However, with the work you're doing, you can say that you're addressing the, you know, the mental illness piece of it. You can say you're addressing the homelessness piece of it. You can say, so you've got more areas of public That's policy. True. And especially, um, you know, because we have, for example, Lynn Nanos is a, is a clinical mm -hmm. social worker um, on our, our blog committee. And then Eric Diaz, um, who does podcasts as well. Eric Diaz has um, schizoaffective disorder yeah. and David Myers um, has a, a, a mental illness. And, um, and then we have other family members and we all hash out um, whatever document we're writing, whether we're writing a physician statement or a yeah. blog post, we all hash it out. And so we are able to get a lot of people's different perspectives it's just we you know being only <laughs> five or ten of us we don't yeah. get every perspective yeah yeah <laughs> and we already agree we have what we call our points of unity um that everyone who becomes a member has to agree to before they can be a member um just to make sure that we're all on the same page and you know there are things like you know I, i'm saying this very um con a condensed version um, you know, things like th that we agree with AOT, um, that, we, that we want to end the incarceration of people with serious brain disorders, that we want these illnesses reclassified as the medical illnesses they are, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So we already come together agreeing on most of the major things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's nice that we have people from all the different perspectives to share when we're coming up with our our work yeah and and, and the major areas of, of agreement i mean i think that should be you know celebrated and acknowledged that that you know because undoubtedly there might be some people listening to this podcast going okay brian what are you doing <laughs> like i don't see any any contradiction or, or conflict as far as i mean that's what we should all be um celebrating and acknowledging you that, join yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, yeah, so and and the fact that you're um, here today, um, speaking with me, um, is much appreciated. Um, yeah. Um, now, how can people learn more about um, National Shattering Science Coalition? They can visit our website. Um, at nationalshatteringsilencecoalition.org. Um, we, we also have a public Facebook page. We're on Twitter at N-S-S-C-O-A-L-I-T-I-O-N. Um, they can call me. My number's on there. Um, we are always desperate for new members. We want to make our voice loud and clear we we want to speak out um our mission our mission is to speak out about federal state and local policies that impact adults and children living with serious brain disorders um commonly referred to as serious mental illness and we want to advocate for change we want to become we want a seat at every table right now on that point, and I didn't know that I would be asking you this, but again, um, no editing podcast, one of the um, pit, pits and pitfalls or, or you know, vice versa of that. Um, 
voting. Can voting be a form of advocacy? Do you mean voting? Like if there if there's legislation, for example, that for for um, if there's legislation, for example, that would have um, with, with the the IMD exclusion, for example, or oh, with absolutely. the so that would be yeah. that would be an easy way for people to to, to share and, and actually work. Would, yes, would in fact, in fact, we have we have an action page, a call to action page on our website. Um, and we often will post calls to action asking people to contact their legislators if there's new legislation um, or, or, we, or we try to get congressmen and women to sponsor legislation. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when we do that, we, we put a call out to all our members asking them to contact their congressmen and women. So yes, that is a very important way that people people can help us advocate for change. The other important way that people can help is, is to share their stories, even if they have to do them anonymously. Um, it's very important and not to the choir, not, not preaching to the choir. The, the general population needs to hear all of our stories. We're still working on how to get, how to have that happen. Right. Well, hopefully, um, this you know episode will let people know more of what's going on, and that they can get a, a fuller picture. What you things. do is very important, Brian, and um, and and I'm very grateful um, that you gave me the opportunity to speak with you because because you are one of those voices that that needs to get out there. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Now, um, as we wind down, I, I did want to mention um, a couple of resources. Like I said, we do want to emphasize um, resources. I know that there is uh, Mental Health America, MHA National uh, org. It's also NAMI, as you had mentioned, um, NAMI.org. And um, Mad in America is a um, maddenamerica.com, people have mentioned. Um, and can you, again, just for those who might not have a, had, had a pen and paper handy, what was the website again for National Shattering Silence? Sure, it's the National, it's National Shattering Silence Coalition org. I know it's a long, okay. long one. We, we tried to do nssc.org, yeah. but someone else already had it, so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, thank you so much for being here today. It's, it's been informative and helpful. And hopefully those listening, if you're getting a new perspective, that's, that's what we want. You know, we want to increase education, we want to increase awareness. And um, so thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you too, Brian. Have a great um, day, sir. You too. Thank you. Those of you at home or wherever you may be, um, stay safe, everyone. And uh, talk to you next time.